Hi, welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. We pray that as you listen today, you are blessed and encouraged. Thank you so much for listening in. If you want any more information about our ministry, we'd love you to jump onto our website, harvestaustralia.org. Have a great day. Well, today I want to complete a series on leadership and... uh, the third, third week, and I don't often do series, but um, it's uh, one of those things that, you know, we've been in leadership quite a while now and a good portion of our lives. And uh, it's one of those things that we really feel that God wants to continue to raise up more and more strong men and women uh, who love the Lord, but also pave the way in society and uh, make a difference. And all of us are included in that calling and that camp. Isn't that a good thing? Doesn't matter how insignificant we feel or how small we feel our influence is, God has a call on our lives to do great things for Him. And so I want to give us five final attributes of a great leader today. But let me pray because I couldn't think of any other titles. So, you know, I reckon I'm done after this, but uh, we'll see. You know, so let's pray. Hey, Lord, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We pray today that you would speak to us that you would continue to transform us into your likeness by the power of your Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll quickly run through the first 10. Don't worry, I won't, I won't um, bore you with every detail. But I, I do want to remind you of John Maxwell's quote about what is leadership. And he said, leadership is influence. And so if you have influence, even with yourself, then you're a leader. If you have it with a few other people, then you're a significant leader. And uh, so I started out with personal responsibility, then self-awareness, consistency, inspirational, doing the tough stuff, hearing from God, discernment, managing capacity, resilient and faithful. And this week, I want to finish with um, five in, and no particular priority to any of these, but they're just things that flow for me naturally uh, as looking to leaders and, and really looking to godly leaders. And the first one this week is following the call of God. Second one is managing stress. Third one is better, not bitter. Fourth one is a solutionist. And the last one is managing conflict or conflict resolution. And so let me start out by saying that if leadership is influence, then it's very important that we manage our influence very well because people are looking to us. And you'll often hear it said, I'm sure you've got people that you know around you, maybe work colleagues who maybe they used to be Christian or maybe they used to know the Lord. And you'll often hear them say, I don't believe in Jesus anymore because of all the hypocritical Christians. Um, And I think to myself, well... It's kind of like saying, I don't go to the horse club anymore because at the horse club, there's some people who who don't do the horse the the pure way. Do you know what I mean? Of course, they don't do it the pure way or the dog club or the bowling club or the footy club. I mean, if you've ever been to a footy match, there's a lot of hypocritical footy barrackers. If you're like me, you only follow the crows when they're winning. And when they're not winning, you just like AFL. You just like football. And then when that's not good, you just like sport. So you become a generalist and it's interesting how you pick and choose at various times, don't you, to suit your 
you know, your feelings or your situation. But it's, it's like that. People throw that thing at you. you know, I don't believe in Jesus because of all the hypocrites. It's a cop-out. It's a cop-out. And it, what it is, is it's, it's that blame shifting. I don't want to take responsibility for my own soul, so I'm just going to blame everyone else for their problems. And that's why I'm not taking responsibility. And so as leaders, it's so important that we become so robust in, as a people group that we can handle situations that other people can't handle. And in that situation, we actually can become people who shine the light of the gospel without even preaching the gospel, but by being Christ in who we are. And so following the call of God, each and every one of us are called by God. I want to read from 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. And it says this, The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. So often we give up or we get tired of doing what God's called us to do, even if it's boring, even if it's tiring, even if it's mundane, we give up because we just, we lose hope. We lose hope. But this is saying the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. If you're feeling a little tired or weary today, I want to encourage you. It's that season where God does allow testing. I actually believe God does allow testing in our lives. And He does allow seasons where, let's say, the, uh, the rope gets a little bit longer and we get a little bit further away and we have to find Him. We have to find His purpose. We have to find His voice. Maybe it's not as strong as at other times, but they're the times when we actually get tested and we actually have to call out to Him. We have to reach out for Him in our own way, in our own um, heart to find that distilled voice of God. But He's there. He's always there. It doesn't matter whether we think He is or not. He is there. And if you're in that valley, if you're in that situation in your life, I want to encourage you, He'll still fulfill the call. He will still fulfill that call on your life. Don't question it. Don't keep second guessing it. Don't keep saying, I'm not good enough or I can't do this or I've failed. His hand is on your life for good. He wants to bring about His purposes in your life. He wants to do great things in your life. And so sometimes just getting the Word of God into our spirit brings about a faith shift in our life to, to make us realise, wow, it's not my lack, it's His abundance. And so when we look at His abundance, He has no shortage of provision. We have a lot of shortages, but He has no shortage of provision. He's got plenty of stocks. He's got plenty of resources ready to give you. And sometimes faith is just that key to open the door. Second one is managing stress. Now, this might seem like a very mundane one or even, you know, secular one. But it's in our society, this is a huge issue. We hear a lot about mental illness. We hear a lot about anxiety. We hear a lot about high blood pressure and heart attacks. And, and, and stress is the cause of a lot of this stuff. And so as believers, we should be really good at managing stress. We should be really good at knowing when to say no, when to say yes. And I want to read a couple of verses to us. The first one being Psalm 118 verses 5 and 6. And it says, When hard pressed, I cried out to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I'll not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Isn't that interesting? What can mere mortals do to me? I mean, sometimes mere mortals can be really painful. And yet 
The psalmist is just crying out, what what really can they do to me? I mean, sure, they can kill me, but then I just get promoted into heaven anyway. So when we get perspective and we realise all that stress, all that people pleasing, we spend so much time and energy pleasing people, please this person, please that person. And, you know, if you're... If you're like me, you just realise, well, I actually can't please many people. So you just do what the Father wants and then you're pleasing Him. And then ultimately, that's what a son or a daughter is meant to do, isn't it? And so what can mere mortals do to you? I mean, sure, if you're, if you're out of line and you're, you're doing things illegal and you're doing things that are just silly in the workplace, sure, the boss is going to pull you up and do things to you. Or if, if it's in society, we get adjusted by society if, it's, if we're out of, uh, out of line. But this is really talking spiritually here. Sometimes we feel oppressed or depressed or nervous or anxious about things that we shouldn't. And when we give them to God, we cry out to the Lord, we give them to Him and He gives us His perspectives and He is with us and He can put you into a spacious place. I love that. He can put you into a place where there's not pressure, there's not that stress upon us. The second verse in this area is 1 Peter 5 verse 7 and it says this, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Easier said than done. If you've ever had a situation that's made you anxious or really brought on some pressure in your life, it's, you know, if a good Christian comes up and smiles in your face and quotes this verse to you, you probably want to slap him in the face. Because the last thing you feel like doing when you're anxious and nervous is someone coming up to you and just saying, just snap out of it or just get out of it, you know. Just cast, cast your burdens on him, you know. It's like... You're feeling it. The pressure's on. And you can feel the pressure of that situation. However, then we have the Word of the Lord, which is a double-edged sword. Because to our flesh, it's like, get away from me. But to our spirit, it's like, that's what I need. That's exactly what I need. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Today, Maybe some of you are going through situations that you don't know the solution. You don't know what's going to happen. Maybe financially, health-wise, relationally. We face this stuff as humans, don't we? And, and some of us, we, we never know what's going on in some people's lives. I'm often fascinated when people tell me stuff and it's like, man, it's, that's incredible. I was hearing a story this week from someone who was sharing about, you know, pretty much a, a, a near-death experience. And And I was just thinking, wow, it's full on. It's full on. Life can be very, very intense at times. And sometimes we don't have the answers. No one has the answers. But your Father in heaven is saying, cast that anxiety onto Him. It's what the cross is all about. Cast your burden onto Him. Get it off your plate and onto His plate. Because He wants to take that stress out of your life. Now, sometimes He'll speak and He'll say, okay, now you need to stop doing that. And, it, and it, maybe it's something that's causing stress. Other times it's a mindset that we need to get rid of and just give to Him. Whatever it is, cast it onto Him. Why? Because He cares for you. He actually wants you living a de-stressed life. He wants you to live in peace. He wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be relaxed if I can say that. There's times to, you know, dial it up a little bit, but He wants your spirit at peace with Him, not all anxious and stressed and nervous. And so that's actually God's 
word to us. Cast your anxiety onto Him because He cares for you. Third one, better not bitter. This is an interesting one because so often in leadership, and I'm sure a lot of you experience this, the more you step out in your leadership, the more you'll realise that you go through stuff. And you go through stuff, and as you go through stuff, sometimes you build up some baggage or you build up some resentment because you want to block yourself from getting hurt again or you want to block yourself from that type of person again or that scenario or situation. And so you naturally, you, you dam up things. And uh, interestingly enough, we're doing a little exercise now at our health retreat that we're, we're building. We're renovating a creek. And interestingly enough, over the years, this creek with former owners has got a whole lot of crap put in it. Bricks and tires and sheets of iron. I don't know why you'd ever put it in a creek, but it's in there. And, and we're, in, we're pulling all this stuff out, digging it up. And I can't help but have the analogy of this is what life can be like sometimes as a leader, as a Christian, as a person, is to stop some of that stuff happening. We just throw, throw the rubbish in. Throw the rubbish in. What we're, re- what we're not realising is we're stopping the flow of His Spirit. We're stopping the flow of His presence, of His anointing flowing in our lives. Why? Because we've been hurt. We've had the damn walls broken before. We've, we've, we've had stuff go on and things just go meandering all over the place. And so it's easier sometimes just to block it up. And, and I'm in this camp. I mean, if, if every single person, just the power of God hits you and you go absolutely spastically crazy right now, then, then I'm going to be the first one going, God, what on earth are you doing? And yet there's a hunger in our hearts for the more of God like never before. And so it's this interesting tension as leadership, but I'll just digress a little bit because I think it's an important point. Church is a really interesting tension charismatic church is an even more interesting tension because somehow we are trying to straddle the knowledge of the Word of God and yet demonstrate what it says. And this tension, I am yet to see a perfect scenario in the world of this. And it's just one of these fantastical things that I study all around the world. I just watching, 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 listening, listening, listening. And I can't get past the fact that whenever we really want the flow of God, there's always going to be an element of risk. That's what Peter McHugh says that. And I've held him to that a couple of times. I said, what about that? What about that? What about that? And uh, it's interesting, isn't it? But it's the same in our lives. It's the same in our lives, not just corporately. And so if we actually want to be those who keep a good heart, and keep the flow of the Spirit, we've got to make sure that we improve, that we don't get bitter. Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. If we have influence and we let that bitter root rise up in our heart from hurt, from offence, from situations, from doubts, from fears, from resentment, from being let down, from not being recognised, from all those scenarios that we have throughout our life. If we let that bitter root rise up, it will not only defile us, but because we have influence, it will defile many. And so our job as leaders is to make sure that we get rid of those bitter roots from our lives. Get rid of those resentments, those judgments, those things that hold us back. 
And they can be very small things sometimes that we don't even want to admit to ourselves. But if we get really, really honest with ourselves, we can say, wow, I've had judgments toward that people group. I've had judgments toward that person. I've, I've had bitterness toward that person who's offended me over the years. And I'm sure they have offended you. And you're probably quite right to have felt hurt. But what we can't do and what is illegal in the kingdom of heaven is God has forgiven us every sin of ours. We have the obligation under grace to also give forgiveness to those who have hurt us. It's one of those unchangeable truths that we're not allowed to play with. We're not allowed to change. We can't dampen it down just because we got hurt at a level five or a level seven or a level 10. There are no levels. Forgiveness is an absolute in the kingdom of God. We, d- we can't justify even how painful that experience might have been. We cannot justify it. Why? Because Christ first loved us. He first, while we were still sinners, forgave us of our sin. And so we have, we have the freedom and the, and the right to stand under the cross, but also to operate in the cross with others. And that makes us better because we don't hold on to some of that stuff. We don't, we don't I'm getting flashbacks here. He's, he's dealing with me. Okay, so <laughs> not people. I can't recognize anyone. Just, you know, it's little flashbacks that come. Does the Holy Spirit ever do that to you? Or is that, is that Satan? Uh, I think that is actually. But, you know, it, that's what conviction's all about. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. It's, conviction is not to nail ourselves to the ground and whip ourselves and make ourselves feel bad. Conviction comes by the Spirit to make us pure, to make us holy, if that be possible, righteous, to live righteously. And so it's, an, it's one of those things that under grace, we actually have to appropriate, we have to live in and operate in, not just quote. And it's easier to quote this stuff than actually live it, isn't it? But actually becoming better rather than bitter. And we might look at some areas of our lives where, oh, I've actually got bitter in that area of my life. Wow. All right, I've got to let that go. I'm going to forgive that scenario, that personal situation. Immediately, you get an upgrade. Immediately, you get an upgrade into greater grace, greater grace, greater forgiveness, greater freedom. You're not being held, held back by that anymore. I mean, it's, a, it's a, a known thing in society that a lot of people who become alcoholics apart from maybe the generational effect, but often there's a root in their life of why they started drinking or why they started smoking or why they started taking drugs. There's a root in their life that still is there today. It hasn't been removed. And maybe they don't want to let go. Maybe they don't want to let go of some of this stuff. And that's why there's this whole mindfulness movement now. And the world's, you know, it's 2,000 years late on a lot of this stuff, but eventually it cottons on to some of this stuff. And, uh, and then we realise, hang on, this is just the gospel. Yeah, let's not give it another name and a fancy little, you know, feng shui thing. Let's just keep this the gospel. And so we actually have the message of freedom for this world, don't we? We have the message. It's in the gospel. It's in Christ. It's freedom. But we have to live it ourselves. There's nothing worse than a bitter Christian. And um, I often find it interesting when I, uh, I've told this story many times, but when, when Karen and I, before we started ministry, we realised that, um, that, well, Karen had already done a journey of heart healing. And so 
I realized I've got to to do some heart healing. There's a few blockages and resentments and judgments. And one of my particular judgments was toward Joel Osteen. And uh, he's a controversial man, isn't he? I mean, those white teeth, those amazing suits, the hair, the blinking, the smiles, everything. But I'm telling you, I, I I had... radical judgments toward this guy because I, I'm just watching, I'm thinking, oh man, you know, all those thoughts, 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 thoughts. And yet when we were going through a couple of years later, we were going through our biggest challenge of, well, my biggest challenge of my life, but certainly affecting us was in our business and it was crumbling before our eyes and it was tumbling. We had God TV and 7 p.m. every night, I'm, I'm watching Joel Osteen. I'm just watching Joel Osteen. Why? Because he's preaching hope. And what did I need? I needed hope. And, and uh, we then went and did some heart healing and I realized I'm just getting rid of every judgment toward that guy, Jesus. You know, give me a Ferrari like he drives or 16 of them or whatever, just whatever it is. I'm, I'm kidding. He doesn't have Ferraris, I don't think. But what we judge is often what we need. And I realized that in my life, I've been judging this guy for years. I don't even have a clue about the guy. I've never met him. I really haven't, hadn't listened to many sermons and yet I'd formed these incredible theologies against him and I knew nothing about the guy. I mean, what an idiot. We are idiots sometimes, aren't we? We speak about things we have no idea about. I've seen a certain pastor, great theologian, bagging out anything charismatic in today's world, Bethel. And I mean, any, anyone who's spirit-filled, he, he's on the platform and he's laughing at them. He's a, a whole sermon against Joel Osteen, mind you. You can watch it on YouTube. And I'm watching this guy and I'm thinking, how can you have so much biblical knowledge and yet not operate in a spirit of grace? He calls it discernment, but man, it's critical. And yet you hear a lot of the guys like Bill Johnson and Joel Osteen, his two, his two real boxing bags. You never hear them criticizing him. You never hear it. That's the fruit of being filled with the spirit, not just the word. Someone who's filled with the Word will often be quite a judgmental person. The Word, the Word, the Word. Nothing wrong with the Word. But we need to operate in the living Word. Spirit of grace. Evidencing fruit of the Spirit in our life. Even when it's tough, somehow we find joy. Why? Because joy lives inside of us. The Word lives in us. It's not just a scripture we can quote to someone. It's actually living and breathing inside of us. It's very, very powerful when we see people operating like this. I'm telling you, we need more and more Christians, leaders operating like this because it's, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit that I think is amazing. Getting rid of bitterness and getting better. Fourth one, I've called it a solutionist and I don't have a scripture for you because Jesus was the king solutionist. He had a solution for everything, but most of the people had no idea what he was talking about. He's talking parables and stories and allegory and and he'd use all these references and they'd have to really, really dig deep into the truth of what on earth is he saying? Every now and then he'd interpret. But but most of the time he'd leave mysteries there and this is what God does, doesn't he? He speaks in mysteries. I don't know if you've ever had a dream that you think is from God, but uh, I mean, you try to interpret and it's like, oh my goodness, you know, I can't even scratch the surface of that thing. And so you, you let it go and later he might bring some more revelation or he'll show you. Or, you know, sometimes he, he is so ambiguous in the way he speaks to us that we have to search it out. 
Search out the heart of God. Maybe it takes years sometimes to find His revelation. But here's my take on, on being a solutionist leader, that we will find kingdom solutions in normal life, not just in church or in ministry. We'll be positive. We'll take responsibility over blame. We'll find solutions over faults. We'll be prayer, prayers, not problem finders. We'll look past minor issues. And I'm just thinking as I'm talking, it's a dangerous thing to do that. <laughs> and we'll be people that don't secretly wish for others' downfall. It's something that we don't speak about much, but it's the pride of man where we, we actually walk in a pride, unspoken pride, where actually when someone else trips over, we're like, good. It's the serpent. It's the serpent speaking to us saying, oh, yeah, see, see, that you were right all along. You were right all along. It's pride. It's horrible. It's ugly. And it's shameful to even speak like that. But as believers, we need to be so sharp against the enemy's plans and his purposes. Because if we want someone else's demise, what we sow, we reap. And these are powerful principles that we can't get away from. These are kingdom universal principles. What we sow, we reap. So what do we want to do? We want to sow blessing. We want to sow blessing. I don't know if you've ever operated in the opposite spirit to what you're feeling like, but I'm sure many of you have. But it's one of the most grinding things on your flesh. I remember driving past every single day another company that was doing better than us, that had everything that I wanted. And I remember the Lord challenging me one day saying, you know, there you are, you know, you're not saying anything. And I'd say all the right things, but in my heart, I had a bad attitude toward them. Weren't even in the same industry. I mean, it shouldn't have even affected me. But there I was driving past, having a moan and a groan or a little judgmental eye. And he challenged me one day. And from that day, I decided every single day I drive past that business, I still drive past it regularly. Every single day I drive past that business, I'm going to bless them rather than curse them. And I've done it for probably more than a decade now. And um, God actually has blessed that business. I don't think it's probably from my little, you know, pea brain prayers. But it's interesting. It changes my heart. And that's what he's concerned with, isn't he? He wants to change us into his likeness. So we'd be little, little, tiny walking Christs. I'm not saying people are going to worship us. Don't get me theologically wrong. But people who will look like him, who will resemble him, who will respond like him, who will not be bitter, who will carry freedom, carry joy, carry the spirit of life in us. And we carry a hope and a destiny. We're not criticizers, but we're ones who actually bring solutions and creativity and answers. We're not problem you know, highlighting all the problems in the room, but we're actually going, hey, I might cover up a few other people's sins. What a powerful thing to do. What a powerful thing to do. I don't mean in a wrong way, but what I mean is actually operating in the kingdom where we're not trying to highlight someone else, their negativity, but actually we cover it up. And in a conversation, we actually, well, you know, we don't know what they've gone through. We don't know what they've gone through. Who knows? Who knows why they're acting out that way? Maybe it's behaviour. We, we don't necessarily have to allow everything, but maybe we can actually give grace operate in incredible amounts of grace. And believe me, it'll grind your flesh because it grinds mine. If someone's peeing you off, the first thing you want to do is react, don't you? And just say, oh, I'll just highlight the, the issue, the issue. But the issue is not the issue. The issue is never the issue. I find this in, in business and in, in, in college life and in all, all our arenas of life. I laugh to myself when there's a drama because I look at the drama and I think that is nothing to do with the issue. 
The issue is the issue of the heart. It's the issue of the heart. The drama is just the flapping wings. But the issue is the issue of the heart. Why is everything chaotic? Why is this drama always happening in your life? Why is there always some of this stuff? Then we look at the root. We look at the root of our life and say, Lord, you're going to have to highlight some stuff in my life because I'm sick of this. I'm sick of blaming everyone else and everything failing and I'm going from here, there and everywhere. I want resolution in my life. I want some solutions in my life. Show me, reveal to me what some of these things are. And then we'll be a person who sees hope, not devastation. I don't know if you're ever around people and you know, always highlighting something that's gone wrong. It's easy in church life as well. We hear about other churches and, you know, situations going on and pastors do this all the time. Oh, did you hear about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, pastors need to wear this more than anyone. It's like, you know, covering over that stuff or just, just ignoring it, just ignoring it. Just psh, let it go. I do it less and less now, consciously over, over the last, you know, five or six years, really just making sure that, that I'm not found in a company of people talking about other things. It doesn't mean we can't, have some, some awareness and do some research. And of course, it's important to, to be people who, who know who we are. But as far as any criticism, any judgments, any, any big, big decisions about those things, well, you know, I take a back seat on a lot of these things. Because if we're, if we're people who carry solutions, I'm telling you, it's so attractive. It's so attractive. Last one, conflict resolution. Might seem like a weird one to finish on, conflict resolution. I'm telling you, in this day and age, believers are going to be, have to become absolute PhDs of conflict resolution because wherever a believer goes, conflict's going to follow because we're a double-edged sword. The Word of God, the world doesn't like the Word of God. Australian political scene doesn't like the Word of God. I feel for our Prime Minister. I pray for him regularly. But, you know, he doesn't sometimes know whether he's Arthur or Martha. Do I please the left? Do I please the right? Am I, you know what I mean? It's hard. It's hard work. And I pray for him. I bless him. I thank the Lord for him. But it's hard to please everyone. And you can't do it. You just can't do it. But us as believers, if we know how to manage conflict, and what I mean by that is when there's a storm, if we are the calm in the storm, then we can actually bring solutions to the table that no one, everyone else is flapping their wings. Everyone else is talking. We're the calm in the storm because we have the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of self-control. So we're not just reacting to a little situation. Remember, the issue is not the issue. The same in politics as well. I mean, I have this habit of listening to a lot of political stuff and question time and everything like that. It's, it interests me. But I'm listening to it and I'm going, oh man, there's, there's such a fraction of truth in everything that's said. And there is normally a fraction of truth in things that are said. But there's so much agenda. There's so much um, you know, self-promotion and so much protectionism of, of where we stand on issues and, and rightly so, wrongly so. It's a very hard tension. But if we can manage conflict around us, with people around us, with ourselves, with our left side and our right side and, you know, our own brain, but then with other people around us, we can become people who provide solutions and so when the, when the enemy, see, one of the tactics of the enemy, we've seen it and, and absolutely learned one of the tactics of the enemy is to bring a drama when there is no drama. To create a drama, you know, when everything's going okay. But then, you know, some weird situation will happen or person will just come into the situation and it just brings some weird situation. And it's like, no, 
that's, that's not even something that's going to contain us right now. And sometimes we just have to say no to that situation and, and begin to really ask the Lord. And I've got a few keys for conflict resolution. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I find myself dealing with regularly, whether it be in, in a business situation, even with mentoring uh, other CEOs, I'm finding that it's, it's like there's a lot of conflict maybe in the workplace or even in, in our own thinking or trying to get out. And it's one of those things that trying to bring resolutions, resolutions, resolution, dampen down the storm and be the calm. The first thing I think that helps in this area is to give something time as long as we can. Take time, take five minutes, 10 minutes, one day. I like to sit on things for 24 hours minimum. If there's a drama, sit on it for 24 hours minimum, if I can. If you can't, you can't. But that's just something I've set myself. If, if there's a drama and someone needs my time, and I'll try to take a day. So if I ever do that to you, you know what I'm doing. The next thing is get the facts. Get the facts. I mean, it's, a, it's an obvious thing, but actually hearing and learning and getting, getting all the facts. The third thing is valuing people over the situation. Valuing people over the situation. Sometimes we just want to solve everything and I'm like, solve it, solve it, solve it, that we don't quite get the situation. The heart's cry of a person often isn't the issue that's being raised. The heart's cry is, I need value, I'm a person. You know what I mean? And it's a very hard tension sometimes. But if we get good at this, it's one of these kingdom things that we can bring into our atmosphere, into our sphere of influence. The last thing is wisdom. This is what Solomon got in spades, and I pray for it every single day. Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. I've realized in mentoring some CEOs that uh, it's one of those things that people begin to listen to you. As soon as you put your word mentor there, people actually listen to you. And um, because they're paying you, they expect to get a return on what you're advising them. And so I've found myself a couple of times just going, I better not say that. I better be really careful because I've got to be wise because if I don't say the right thing to this guy's really listening to a lot of what I'm advising him, his whole company could be changed because of that. But that's what we're like in the kingdom. We have treasures that the world needs. You have ideas. You have solutions. You have creativity. You have innovations. You have answers from the king that if we'll tap into that wisdom of Solomon, just start in Proverbs if you need to, it's an incredible, incredible book of the Bible that has so many kingdom answers to little problems in our life today. And I want to give you one of those. Finishing with this, Luke 21, 19. Stand firm in life and you'll win. Stand firm in life and you will win. It's an incredible thing that when we actually learn how to be resilient, when we learn how to walk in the Word of God, in the truth of God, in the Spirit of God, in His voice, in His calling, in faith, in all of these kingdom things that I've been talking about the last few weeks, and when we stand even when we don't want to stand, it's so easy to give up, especially in today's society. There's so many options. There's so many options. As soon as we don't like this thing, we're, we can change. And it's, and it's one of those things that sometimes we diminish our effectiveness in the kingdom because we have so many outlets, so many outlets. We don't persist, we don't pursue, we don't stand in the trials. And so we forfeit the greater victories. We forfeit those big ones, those really big victories that if we'll just stick it out, God will promote us. 
if we will stick it out resolutely, even when maybe others are turning away, your face is fixed on the King and you're standing with Him and you're saying, I'm not going to budge. I don't feel it. I don't feel any great cloud or presence right now, but I'm not going to budge. I'm going to stand firm in the Word. And if you stand firm, you will win. You'll win at life because the Kingdom of God, I believe, is one that we are to live out, not just to know about. And it's that big tension of being a human and being a spirit being as well, because we're both. And so we're working out how do we live this life in tension? How do we raise our spirit to the Word of God? We be filled with the Spirit, filled with His presence, filled with the Word. But we must practice this stuff. We must practice this stuff. And if you've found any of this helpful, write stuff down and I guarantee you're going to get challenged this week or this month or there'll be situations, there'll be a conflict and you'll want to flap your wings, but you'll go, no, I'm not going to flap my wings this time. I'm just going to take 24 hours on this one before I fire back that text message. You know, loaded gun, little offshoot, never resolve conflict over email or text. (laughs) Shocking, shocking. Unless you're in Siberia or something like that, Funny tangent, we've had someone offer to take a missions team to Siberia. I'm serious. <laughs> anyway, TBA on that. Um, anyway, um, yeah, so you never know what God's going to do, hey? I want everyone to stand. Thank you. Matthew 5, 9, worship team, you can come up. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. The peacemakers. It doesn't sound like a a terribly supernatural thing, does it? Peacemakers. But you'll be blessed if you're a peacemaker. Great leaders are peacemakers. Great leaders in the kingdom are peacemakers. Doesn't mean we appease everything and please everyone, but it means we'll carry a spirit of peace where things do not flap us where they flap other people. Things will not stir us up that stir other people. Why? Because we're living in the spirit, not in the flesh. And we have to activate the spirit. I don't know about you, but I have to literally, I have to get the jumper leads on my spirit every day and activate spirit life because it doesn't happen naturally in my flesh. I might be the most carnal person here, but that's just true. I had to jump a lead Karen's car last night and it wasn't working. It just wasn't working. But sometimes we have to take jumper leads to our spirit life and say, it's time. It's time to live at another level. It's time to live in faith. It's time to actually live and operate in the kingdom of God so I can be the leader God has called me to be. He has not called you to be the tail. He's called you to be the head. The heads have influence, but we need the Spirit of God to give us so much wisdom, so much wisdom. So these last three weeks, I think I've just been provoking leadership in you. That's, that's my intention. Some of them won't be perfect for you. You'll have to navigate them and research them and find out what flows perfectly for your gifting and your life and your influence, your realm of, of life, career, family, everything else. But what I hope I've done is just thrown out a whole lot of seed to to settle on your soil and you work through this stuff with the Lord and say, what's highlighted for me? What's highlighted in my life? But I believe God wants to create great leaders in this room, great leaders in this room. Every single one of us, not just three or four, 
not just a few, but every single one of us. Isn't that part about being inheritance of the kingdom of God? That everyone participates, not just a select few. And even those right now who are questioning that, you as well. Because there's always a few who go, yes, but I'm excluded because of this, that and the other and all that insecurity. So what we're going to do today is the band are just going to worship and uh, Karen and I want to pray and just release maybe jumper leads. I don't know. Maybe just a fresh awareness of Holy Spirit and the calling on your life and leadership and His voice and His touch and His power and the fact that you are called to kingdom influence. And if you want that, come down the front. Come even now. Don't wait. I'd love a couple of strong young guys to help catch as well. But we'd love to just begin praying for you for a fresh release of that faith and presence, for a new season, a new destiny, for new levels in the kingdom, new levels in the kingdom. It's okay if this aisle gets filled, we'll just keep going around the building. It's fine because we want to pray for as many people as we can today.